fantasy golf here on the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. Do you believe? Our show is a breakdown of all things golf in the volunteer state. We will cover men's, women's golf tournaments, professionals, and amateur events, and dive into junior golf as well. We will talk to the players, the instructors, and the organizers. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe and rate the show on iTunes. You can also find us on your favorite directories, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Luminaire, and TuneIn. You can find us at Believe.com and at Believe Podcast. You can also follow me on Instagram at pbrandon21 or on Twitter at QIC underscore golf pro. So we just finished up with the Nashville Golf Show down at the fairgrounds. It was an amazing turnout this year. I want to thank Joe and Carol for inviting us down and having a blast. Uh, at the demo nets this weekend, you had Callaway Golf, you had Hanma, you had Mizuno, Ping Golf, Renegar, Tourage with the Harper Valley Golf Center. Also, Seymour was there doing a factory direct presentation showing you a lot of their new lines and putters and stuff like that. It was an amazing time. Uh, Sun Mountain Golf did an amazing, amazing, amazing demonstration. Uh, Paul actually brought out the Finn scooters. Uh, I don't know if you've seen these yet or not, but they're just a, a small golfing motorcycle. Your golf bag fits right on the frame. You're able to get around the golf course super lightweight, super convenient, and, and speeds up the pace of play because you're taking your clubs right up to the situation. Um, you don't have to worry about going back to your car or your buddy has something. So Paul Brumland from Sun Mountain had the presentation on those. It was great. Uh, Joe Hallett from Vanderbilt Legends Club, uh, top instructor, works with Stacy Lewis on the LPGA. Spent about 45 minutes talking about training in the offseason and, and teaching the body how to mimic the golf swing, making the motion for muscle memory without hitting a golf. So really working on the mental side of the game while making physical changes but not being forced or constrained to hitting balls in the range. Uh, really good with that. Garrick Malone from the uh, Garrick Malone Golf Academy was there. He was also were there with the Catalyst Junior Tour. So you can check out his site at MaloneGolfAcademy.com and find out all the information about lesson instruction and junior tournaments. Simons Bank was there representing the Corn Ferry event at National Golf and Athletic. We talked about that one last week, so it was really good to see their presence already felt and getting out in the Nashville area and seeing everybody. Uh, you will see the results from the golf show will be in the latest Tea Times magazine. You can find these at your local clubs. So I took the time to walk the show this week and kind of get to see all the exhibits, uh, talk to the people I knew, meet the people I didn't, start setting up uh, guests for the show for later in the year. But then I got intrigued with the demo tit, and obviously if there's clubs there to test, and, and I had the opportunity, so I had to get out there and hit them and see what was going on. Um, I spent a lot of time with Jeff uh, and Doug in the Callaway tent. Uh, great product. Really loved the Maverick. Saw some faster speeds out of it. Um, dialing in, of course, we found the shaft and, and loft combination that worked best for me in the product. But really good hitting it, seeing what was going on. I uh, spent some time down with Kobe in the Mizuno tent. Uh, always a great time hanging out with Kobe, hitting in the MP20s. Great feeling iron if you love that forged feel. Uh, Garrick was there also there with uh, Ping Golf. Garrick Muller I mentioned earlier, so it was good to see Garrick kind of catch up, touch up with him. Um, hit the new 710s. Great feeling iron. If you're looking for that really good 
forgiveness in a longer iron uh, throughout the set, but still got a good feel to it. Great feel. Great job there. Um, spend a little time in the Renegar tent. Uh, always good seeing Jack and the guys. And just really, you know, it, seeing the story behind that wedge and how it's really fell here in Nashville uh, and, and grown strong from that. Um, Stan Smoot, uh, Bill Breen from the Harper Valley Golf Center, spent some time hanging out with the guys there. Uh, went over to the Tylus tent, talked about the golf balls and everything that was going on there. Toured the State Parks tents, uh, spent a lot of time talking to Neil Collins, head professional out at Henry Horton State Parks, good friend of mine again, really seeing a lot of cool, friendly faces and cool things to really see out there. <clears throat> spent a lot of time with Brooks West um, at uh, Franklin Bridge. Uh, we'll have Brooks on definitely uh, coming soon. We talked a lot about that. And then always good spend time over on the putting green at Seymour and just really see how the rifle scope technology comes in, how hiding the red dot uh, helps with the stroke and the alignment. Uh, saw two or three demonstrations of people stepping up and really seeing the improvement of that putter. So Jim and the guys, Cody, uh, Brandon, all do a great job down there. So I was able to spend a lot of time up by the presentation stage. Just Ned Michaels, uh, Barney Alvery were doing the, doing the emceeing for the event over the weekend. Ned was there on Friday and Saturday. Barney there was on Sunday. And they had a lot of really good instructors and great teachers from Middle Tennessee come up and give presentations. And the thing that I got watching as Matt Walters and, again, Garrick and and. Galen Cood and Joe Hallett and all these really great instructors here stepped up and started to talk about the game. I realized how teaching the game has changed over the years. So growing up, taking lessons and playing as a child, most common it was fix the grip. And if you fix the grip, you'd pretty much take care of everything. And then you know, if you had the right grip, you could swing the club and hit draws and do everything you wanted to. And as soon as the ball flight got a little off, it was a, a tweak to the grip. And so as a kid, I was forced to change my grip by my instructors multiple times until finally we settled on something that was able to repeat and go forward. And the one thing about all these instructors that got up there and talked is none of them talked about the grip. They all talked about getting the hands behind the trail shoulder, or getting the forearms to manipulate through the spine or, or creating hands in motion and impact. So... What used to be a fault-fixing lesson, you'd walk the range, your local pro would tweak your grip, you'd hit the ball better, he'd say call you when you're ready for the next lesson. Now you're seeing these coaches uh, and instructors build programs and classes. So you want to shoot a certain score, it's going to take this much level of commitment. And we're going to set you up with the program and we're going to see you every week or every other week. And you're going to hammer out the fundamentals of the golf swing, but we're also going to work on your short game, your chipping, your putting. We're going to play a couple of times a year. So things that were unheard of, golf pros didn't used to play golf with their students. They had to work the range and, and, and count the golf balls and make sure the range was ready to go uh, for everybody to hit balls. And, and now you're seeing so many positions have director of instruction, really good friend of mine, Andrew Kincaid, out at Brentwood Country Club, has built himself into the, this director of instruction position. And that's all he does. He teaches. He's out there working with his students, working with the members of the club, making them better. And so 
with the introduction of technology of launch monitors and motion capture systems and better cameras, students are starting to see the improvement. Now, I know the, the distance debate is going on, and you're going to hear about how everybody's hitting it so much further, but when the average handicap range has not changed, but two shots over the last 15 years, so the introduction of the titanium woods and the stronger lofted irons and the new core golf balls, the average golfer goes out and has proved their score two shots over a 15-year period. So it's not only distance, and again, we're talking about the best players in the world, the distance debate. The average player never complains about hitting it too far, <clears throat> and we deal on that on every day. But it's going to be able to go through there and see how the technology can improve your game, but also it's finding better instruction. It's being able to sit down with your coach and know that you're going to work together for the next 3, 6, 9, 12 months, whatever y'all decide, and achieve the goals that you're looking for. And it's not just a tweak to the grip and you play it until the ball flight goes the wrong way and then you go back and you see it. It's staying with a steady commitment. When we're seeing today's best players in the world in the gym working out, golfers are now known as athletes. Go back 50 years ago with a few exceptions of Gary Player and those guys Golfers weren't looked at as athletes. Uh, they were just guys who played. And were pretty good at it, but they never would have been the athlete debate. Now you've got your Brooks Kepka, you've got your Rory McIlroy's, Tiger Woods, Dustin Johnson's. These guys are physical specimens, can hit the ball a mile, no matter what club you put in their hand. They're going to be the longest hitters no matter what. So whether you dial back the golf ball or whether you dial back the clubs, you're just going to penalize the average player. And that's 99% of the world uh, are the guys who can't shoot, guys and girls who don't shoot even par. And so this debate is about the one percenters and a whole different rant we'll talk about another day. But go out there, find that teacher that wants to help you improve, not just hit the ball a little bit better. Uh, I normally spend two to three nine-hole playing lessons per student a year. That way we can get out, we can see what's going on, we can see if there are alignments where we want, are they making better selections, things like that. Um, talking to a student the other day that actually is interested in playing uh, tour caliber golf and looking at it and realizing that just because they can hit it as long as some of the best players in the world doesn't mean you need to hit driver everywhere but at the same time doesn't mean you need to shy away from hitting driver because of your dispersion pattern so it's fine-tuning the clubs fine-tuning the equipment fine-tuning the swing to be able to shoot the scores that you want so again as we talk about this distant debate and the USGA has just released their findings and these are they're still coming out, so I don't have all the whole report here in front of me. But it's going to boil down to in order to keep this game going, people just have to have fun, and that's where the the rules came into change with the the more friendly drops uh, knee high, and if the local rule allows it, instead of having to retee on a lost ball or out of bounds, you're able to take your stroke and distance and, and drop it uh, in a position closer to the fairway. And those changes are meant to speed up the game, but make it more fun and reachable for everybody. Now, 
yes, we always talk about what the tour pros do. We always try to teach the tour pro swing because they're doing it correctly. Does everybody want to be a tour pro? No, they don't. But we can learn a lot of things. Anybody who wants to get better, find somebody who's better than they are at something and learns from them. And that's all we're doing when we introduce those swings and those ideas. But going back to the distance, as long as you can hit it solid and you know how far it's going, that's all that matters to you. you know, you're always going to have somebody who hits a little bit further, but if you can chip a little bit better or putt a little bit better than them, that's going to carry you over. So again, it's finding those instructors, going to a Joe Hallett who has a specific putting routine he walks his student through in a, in a short game, uh, or going to see Stan Utley out in um, Scottsdale, Arizona, who is a very good short game instructor, works on your chipping, works on your putting, and he has a method that he shows improvement that he works with the average player, but it also works with the best players in the world. Instead of fine-tuning something in your swing to make it work, learn from the best and do something that's more repeatable. Sorry to get off on the teaching tangent there for just a second. I know I try to keep that out of this. But again, it's just whether you're taking lessons from me or any other instructor, it's all about improvement. How can you make your students play better? You watch their ball flight. Does it start left? Does it start right? Which way does it curve? Using that information, it starts to tell you what their body, what their hands, what their hips, shoulders their swing path, all that information is going on through an instructor's head on how to fix it. So jump on the websites, find your top instructors in your town, your area, whether you're in Memphis, Knoxville, Chattanooga, Nashville, wherever. Find your instructors, go through, have them do an analysis or a breakdown, build a program or a plan going forward, and get 2020 to be your best year ever. So since we got on the topic of distance and handicap, we want to kind of go back to that one just a little bit. So only 10% of all golfers who track their handicap break 80. So that tells us that the majority of our golfers are shooting in the mid to high 80s, shooting in the 90s and above. So being able to break 80 is only 10%. So 90% of all golfers shoot 80s and up. Um, I'm looking at a stat here. 49% of all golfers break 90 on a regular basis. So really the average golfer, the 50-50 mark, doesn't break 100 um, if you just split it down right in the middle. So how is hitting your driver 20, 30 yards further a problem for the USGA or for the RNA if the average player isn't improving the scores again, like we said, two shots over the last 15 years. So it just really boils down to it that the mix of players aren't able to get the ball in the hole fast enough. 40 to 50% of all your shots are putts, and yet Everybody buys their putter and they sticks with it, but they don't go through the fitting process to find out the correct lie, the correct length, the correct loft, the amount of offset. Um, and then another 25% of shots occur from 120 yards in. That's a pitching wedge and nine iron for most people and down. So where do we all want to go practice? We want to hit driver and see how far we can hit it. We want to out drive our buddies and I get it. It's fun. But when you're playing the game for a score, it's being able to put them all together. So if you shoot 100, 
14% of your shots are driver if you hit driver on every non-par-3 hole. So one of the clubs you're going to use the least amount of times. Now I understand getting the driver off the tee is fun and important to leave shorter shots, but when you're playing 300-yard par-4s, take your 3-wood, take your hybrid, hit the shot out there 200 yards and leave yourself a 100-yard shot, whether it be a pitching wedge, sand wedge, 9-iron, it doesn't matter. Instead of driving it, hitting driver, pushing it into the rough, and now you're forced to punch out and going to a higher score. So the scoring clinics are all about driver, wedge, and putter. Now, again, as much as I said don't just hit driver, you have to have a consistent club. You can help the tee as far as you can to leave yourself the shortest amount of distance. And so that's going through the fitting process of the club, but also go through the teaching and the scoring process with your instructor to find the ways to play the holes. Uh, last week at Riviera, number 10, the par 4, plays 315 yards. Now this is from a couple years ago because I hadn't seen the newest stat, but that year the scoring average was 4.87. It was the hardest par 4 under 350 yards on the tour. That year they played St. Andrews, there was also TPC at San Antonio, and Augusta National made the top. Um, going back to another, now this is the 2014-2015, so I am talking a little dated material here, but that particular year there were two Eagles, 98 birdies, 224 pars, 89 bogeys, and 23 doubles or higher. Now again, this is a 315-yard hole that half the field can drive and we're seeing almost 90 bogeys and when you throw in the doubles there were a hundred scores of bogey or higher and there were a hundred scores of birdie or under and yet the hole averaged 4.1 so it's really looking at these holes um, and seeing that that particular year the Green in regulation, 58%. Again, it's a 315-yard hole. Every person listening to this podcast would bet they could go out there and hit that green 70 to 80% of the time as they play the hole, and yet the best players in the world can't because of the size of the green and the rough conditions. They really grow that rough up. It's not a, sh- a long golf course, but they're able to grow the rough up and make the shots played from the rough painful enough that they're not taking it low. When you saw the playoff or the the play of the final day. So as I scroll through the leaderboard from last week, so Adam wins the event at 11 under, shooting two rounds in the 60s and two rounds in the 70s. Um, tied for second, Scott Brown, Sung Kang, Matt Kuchar. Brown has three rounds in the 60s. Sang has three rounds in the 60s, one in the 70s. Uh, Hideki, two in the 60s, two in the 70s. So as I scroll through here, I'm down to 17th place at 5-under, and I've not found anybody who shot in the 60s all three days, or all four days. So, I mean, these are the best players in the world. Ron Moore shoots 2-under for the week, and he shoots 71, 71, 69, 71. Um... You know, these guys just really 
Patrick Rogers, 71, 71, 70, 70. These guys are just consistently going out there and putting it together. And they're shooting in the low 70s, which we would all kill for. Um, but they're not taking it low on this golf course. And it has always held true to that. that it has been a tougher scoring golf course. But it's because they've conditioned the rough, the tees, and even on your shorter holes, even though the distance debate is out there, the guys are averaging over par on a 315-yard hole. So that tells you that the best players in the world can be regulated by course conditions. So you as the player, figure out how to play from the rough, figure out how to hit those fairways, get with your instructor, find out how you're going to shoot your best scores this year. Again, sorry to go off on the rant, but again, just when the USGA says people are hitting the ball too far, the mass public golfers not hitting it too far, a select field and PGA Tour are doing it. If Rory's hitting it 320 now, and you dialing back 50 yards, he's hitting at 280, he's still hitting at 30 to 40 yards past everybody else. So the same things are going to hold true. The guys that are hitting at the furthest are still going to hit at the furthest. So let people play golf. Let's have fun. Let's go there. So now going back to the golf show and, and Twitter and Instagram. So had some people come up to us, talk to us at the show. Thank you all so much following already. Love it. If you're not already following, you can subscribe at iTunes. Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Luminaire, and tune in. You can go on there, rate us, and subscribe again. You can also find us on Believe.com or at Believe Podcast. So at the show, we talked about everybody was asking about my fitting questions and what I was playing this year. And, you know, it, it, I've had a chance to test a lot of opportunities in the clubs and, and find out what's going to work best for me. And just because I'm playing it, doesn't mean you do. Um, I'm not playing Tiger Woods irons because I don't need to. Um, but there are players out there who need to that that work that want want that workability and that forgiveness. Um, so again, going to the fitting side of it, go th- sit down with your PGA professional, your local club pro, your fitter at your retail stores, and get yourself fit. Always bring your product in, hit it, get a baseline number, and see how much the clubs improve for you. Um, we've seen as much as 20, 30 yards on some players, even on the irons, just playing older, outdated technology. Um, I actually saw fitting today. Gentleman was playing a Nike blue driver. These came out in the early 2000s. This was the original product that David Duvall and Tiger Woods launched the Nike golf club brand. Yet somebody still has it in their bag. Um, Chances are, you if you're playing a driver that's more than six years old, there's something better out there for you. So get in your shops, get on the driving range, find your local demo days that are coming up, get out, hit the product, get on the monitors so you can see the difference. Um, so again, I, I can't push the fitting side enough. If you want to get better, find clubs that work best for you. So, also at the show, had some bunker play questions start to come up to me. Um, A particular gentleman asked me about, he used to take his wedge slightly outside, cut across it, and blast the sand out with an open face like we were all taught growing up, and asked my opinion of that. He said he started changing to more of an end-out swing to mimic his golf swing, um, and struggled with the bunker as well. I talked about equipment. Uh... 
if he was playing an old wedge that when he a low bounce wedge that he rolled open and had a lot of bounce and he could blast through that in that position with an open face that would work great but as soon as he squared the face up and now trying to make this swing that if his wedge didn't have enough bounce it's going to cut into the ground he's going to wind up leaving the bunkers in there or leaving the ball in the bunker so staying on the the, the fitting side or the wedge fitting side like we talked about a little bit last week um Gary was asking about, you know, the swing, but it really was sounding more like an equipment issue to me without seeing us hit some bunker shots there in the, the fairgrounds. But if you're blasting a lot of sand with something that has a lot of bounce on it, and all of a sudden you're playing it where it has very little bounce, the conditions in the turf of that wedge are just not going to react the way you want to. So wedge fitting becomes a major key. And I've, I've done this for several years where I'll carry a high bounce wedge and a low bounce wedge. And the high bounce wedge is for super soft conditions. And normally my longer bunker shots, my 30, 40 yard shots, I don't have to make as big of a swing. And then my low bounce wedge is something that's for those harder pan conditions, those firmer sands when I have to get the ball straight up and straight down without having to roll that face open. Um, but even with it being a very low bounce to start, when I roll it open, I don't have as much bounce on it. So the important thing about a bunker shot, it, yes, we saw Mickelson and we saw Taylor hold some shots last week at Pebble, but for the majority of us, our goal is to get it out of the bunker in the first attempt and get it on the green somewhere we give ourselves a reasonable putt. So even our single-digit handicap, your, your main goal there is just to get it out. So especially if you're a 20 or 30 handicap, you need to get with your instructor, get a wedge, get a bunker technique that gets the ball out on the first attempt and that's going to knock so many shots off your game so Gary I hope that helps you a little bit I know we talked about this one-on-one -on -one, um, at the booth but again I hope this kind of helps solidify what we're talking about just finding the technique that works for you and then finding the wedge that correlates to that technique had a question come in from Janelle about uh, taking up the game Want to know how many lessons she should start with to get into it? And that's a loaded question because obviously an instructor is going to tell you what you need for sure. Um, but without seeing you swing or going through the process, it's kind of hard. Now, I know the, the Get Golf Ready programs uh, will be launching here pretty soon, generally start off in March and April. You'll be able to find those at GetGolfReady.com. Generally, these are going to be five lesson packs, getting people, group settings, going over the basics, grip, stance, posture, and, and getting as far into the swing as you want. So if you're taking up the game, the Get Look Off Ready program is really good. It's been growing for several years, and a lot of instructors here in Tennessee are doing those. So it's a great opportunity to, to get an introduction to teaching without going out and and working with the more expensive top instructors uh, that are getting paid more for their time. So group setting cuts down on the cost. Uh, get Golf Ready generally is a five-pack of lessons to kind of walk you through the fundamentals, grip, stance, posture, chipping, putting, things like that. So Janelle, I hope that helps a little bit with uh, getting you involved in some instruction. Uh, and Once you've gone through your Get Golf Ready, if you want to take it a little bit further, start reaching out your local areas, find a club pro or a teaching professional, director of instruction, who's going to work with you and get you going uh, on your game. 
So again, everyone, I want to thank you for listening to me, Paul Brennan, PGA Professional at Tennessee Golf, here on the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. You can find me on Instagram at pbrandon21 or on Twitter at QIC underscore golf pro. Get out on the golf course, spend some time this weekend, have some fun, uh, test some new equipment, and we'll talk to you next week. <laughs>